two weeks shy of our 10th wedding anniversary, this is what love looked like in our household this week. That is Duran Duran and the final song of their concert this last Thursday night, offering their big, big, big hits Rio from, I don't know, 1983 or something like that. Love looked this way, like Duran Duran, this past week in our household, because my wife is a really, 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 really big Duran Duran fan. <laughs> New Year's Eve, 1982, 12 years old, they have been her consistent, constant musical love all that time. But that's not quite the reason why this is the picture of love this past week in our household. It's that my wife, who a long time ago bought tickets for this concert, and then two weeks ago had the sinking realization that this past week was the Republican National Convention. And as some of you know, my wife is a television news producer. And she was on point to be the producer for their anchor who was in Cleveland. And Thursday night, as many of us know, perhaps all of us know, was the acceptance speech. And she was working 2.30 to 11.30. Oh, yes, she would rather have been at the Duran Duran show. <laughs> but she is committed to her job. <laughs> And so she did her job. And so love looked like Duran Duran in our household this past week because I went to the show without her. <laughs> I am not a Duran Duran fan. No, this is not me getting the good end of the stick here. If I could have done her job, I would have been at CBS 3 this past week. I don't dislike Duran Duran, but I don't like him much either. But the truth is, we have dragged each other for the now almost 14 years we've known each other. Concerts that weren't necessarily right in the wheelhouse of each other. She's gone to more alt-country uh, concerts than she would care to count. And she finds the mopey and sad sack with all the unemployed record store empl uh, you know, former employees there. And just a, I've gone to Duran Duran shows as well, too. So I went to this one to honor what she loves. And I will tell you this, I'm still not much of a Duran Duran fan. <laughs> and two, their song, Reach Up for the Sunrise, that we do here at Wellsprings, is so much better when we do it here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And three. Because I do try to be spiritually awake and aware, regardless of where I am, and see the lessons that are written for me to receive. There was a song that they did, a song called Come Undone, that was kind of one of their minor hits. You might know it. And it poses a question. Who do you need, who do you love, when you've come undone? Who do you need, who do you love, when you've come undone? There could not be a better, more timely question for today's Spirit Flicks movie. Magnolia, this movie, came out in 1999, and it has been consistently one of my favorites ever since. I watch it once or twice a year. It is, if you've seen it, biblical in scope. 
three hours long. It, were I to describe to you all the participants in the movie and all the characters and how they related to each other, I would need a flowchart and a graph and several different slides and still we would only scratch the surface of what this movie is about. All the characters are interdependent, intersecting, interlocking, which makes it all the more interesting that this movie begins in a place in which they are all isolated from each other. One of the things I love about this movie is that it wears its heart not just on its chest, like a big Superman emblem on its arms. It wears its big heart all over itself. And so it is not to say at all subtle. The opening, or actually the second opening segment in the movie, it's got like a couple different openings if you look at it a few different times, has uh, Amy Mann doing that old song, One is the Loneliest Number, running for about eight straight minutes. They want you to get the point, P.T. Anderson, that these people are isolated from each other. It's not subtle. And so we enter a space in which revelation and truth-telling and painful secrets and forgiveness and compassion and isolation and connection all kind of play beautiful, beautiful symphony with each other. There are so many things and so many ways that I could talk about this movie so beloved to me with its big heart. I could do probably five different messages. Maybe someday, uh, if I beg your indulgence, I'll do five different messages about it all in a row. But not today. <laughs> what I want to focus on as a way to kind of enter the stream here are these four characters. These four characters in the movie. That's Tom Cruise playing Frank. I'm not a Tom Cruise fan. I love him in this movie. It's Claudia, that's Stanley, and that's Donnie. Three adult children and one child. Three children who in the past or in the present of their lives have all been either abandoned, abused, exploited, or neglected by their parents. All four of them with different ways of responding to this kind of original wound in their lives. Frank, Tom Cruise, well, he takes the harm of his life and he externalizes onto others. If you've seen the movie, you know that he is kind of this uh, personal self-help teacher, but in one of the most coarse, disgusting ways you can imagine. What he does is he's taken the pain of his life and he teaches men how to trick women into bed from his program that's called Seduce and Destroy. Claudia, she's taken the pain of her life, and she's directed that harm inward. She is a, from all accounts, terribly addicted person, engaging in all kinds of self-destructive ways. There's Stanley, the child who's on a, a quiz show that's hosted by Claudia's dad, that when it founded years ago was created by Frank's father. Stanley, who is so counted on by his father, a struggling actor, this all takes place in and around Hollywood, so counted on and so exploited by his dad for the money that he's bringing in. They're about to earn hundreds of thousands of dollars, these kids, on the show, on the quiz show. That he cannot speak up when he needs to go to the bathroom. And so has an accident, wets himself, live on national TV. Because he's not allowed to care for himself. And then the final one, Donnie. 
the former quiz kid, wonder kid. All of his money was stolen by his parents. And now he is obsessed with getting braces because he believes if he makes himself beautiful enough, attractive enough, then Brad, the bartender at this small dive bar that he goes to in Hollywood, will fall in love with him just as he is in love with Brad. And to get the money to work on his mouth, his braces, he plans to commit a burglary. So trust me, I'm just scratching the surface of this incredibly complex plot when I describe these four people. Taking their wounds, their pain, externalizing the harm, interjecting the harm, not paying attention to themselves, being obsessed with themselves. The one thing missing and the one thing that this movie is really all about, instead of taking their pain and creating more, learning what it is to know self-compassion. To take their pain and transform it into a deeper love that connects them to themselves and to each other. Donnie has this great line when he's forgiven by a police officer for committing this burglary. Donnie has this great line. He says, I have so much love to give, but I don't know where to put it. I have so much love to give, but I don't know where to put it. Cool thing about this movie is we hear versions of that from like five other characters. I don't know where to put this. My pain, my fear, my love, my compassion. I have all this energy, all this emotion within me, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know where to put this. Maybe you can think of what your this is, and maybe today you're struggling with, where do I put this? One of the reasons I love this big, sprawling, honestly kind of messy movie is that for all of its magical realism, and if you've seen it, yes, there are a rain of frogs that come down from the sky at one point. It's fantasy notwithstanding. I think it mirrors the pain, the confusion, and also the love and the yearning for connection of our own world just about as well as any movie I've ever seen. George Carlin, if you might remember him, talked about a place for your stuff. Talking about your physical things. Where do you put your stuff? And if you can find a place to put your stuff, then it's all right. You go on vacation, you find another place to put your stuff, and on and on and on. This movie isn't about a place or an invitation to where we put our physical stuff. It's about where we put that emotional stuff, that chaos, that confusion, that yearning to connect, that love that unites us all. If only, if only we could find the right ways to connect in the name of that love. I've come to think of my own spiritual practice as a place for my stuff because I have plenty of it. All the stuff rattling around in my brain, all the stuff unsettled in my heart. I have allowed it in my past to drive me to distraction, to dis-ease, to destructive tendencies. Now, and for a while, I have been finding healthier ways for a place for my stuff. This past week, a friend of mine on Facebook, a spiritual teacher, a guy I really like, 
he, uh, he mentioned a name that some of us may know. I'm not going to bring up the name. Um, someone who many of us might struggle with. And um, he said, I, I, if you have a loving kindness practice, and I raised my virtual Facebook hand because I have a regular loving kindness practice. He says, does this person show up in your loving kindness practice? And if they do, what do you do? And my answer was, this person shows up in my loving kindness practice pretty much every time I do loving kindness. And they haven't changed yet. (laughs) But I return to my loving kindness practice. So maybe I am the one who is changing. One of the things I wanted to offer today is a chance to do a short loving kindness practice together. It has been a rough couple of months. A lot of pain. A lot of things coming to the fore. A lot of stuff that, to be honest, I don't think makes sense if we all try to put it together. Or certainly none of us can figure it out yet. So what do we do with that? Today I'd like to invite us into an opportunity to do a little bit of practice around it. Is that all right? You don't want to do it? You can get up and wander around. You're free to leave. You're also free to stay. So I would ask you right now, maybe close your eyes. If that's comfortable for you, you can leave your eyes open. Get a sense of the body in the chair. Connect, reconnect to that mindful awareness of breath. Noticing how it is to notice yourself, how it is to notice your experience. And to as much as possible... To allow your life right now to be your life. To allow your experience to be just as it is. Because even before we say these classical words of metta, of loving kindness, the capacity to pay attention to our lives is a wordless form of loving kindness. To connect to our experience, this all of us can do. To invite ourselves home to ourselves. This all of us can do. And we can deepen this capacity of the heart with intention. Breathing in and breathing out. Offering these words. These words that may make sense to you. Replace other words inside your own head if they work better for you. These classical words of metta of loving kindness. Directed first to ourselves. May I live in safety. May I be happy. May I be as healthy as I can be. May I live with ease and with well-being. Breathing into and out of these phrases, welcoming as best you can whatever shows up for you, even if you're resistant to offering these phrases to yourself, meeting that with loving kindness is acceptance as well. Saying once again, may I live in safety. May I be happy. May I be as healthy as I can be. May I live with ease and with well-being. And now, seeing what it's like to open the heart just a bit wider. Calling to mind, into our mind's eye. Maybe imagining sitting right in front of us someone that it is easy for you to love. Someone who's been of benefit to you in your life. Someone who your heart just naturally opens toward. 
If someone like this comes up, imagine them sitting here in front of you and then offering these phrases of loving kindness to them. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be as healthy as you can be. May you live with ease and with well-being. Continuing to notice what's arising, what's coming up for you, noticing each in-breath and each out-breath. And offering these phrases again. Dear one, may you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be as healthy as you can be. May you live with ease and with well-being. Breathing into and out of this intention, whether we're feeling loving kindness or not, this is more than a feeling. There's a willingness to open the heart. And so opening the heart a bit wider still, perhaps thinking of someone right now who you don't know well yet. Maybe someone who you see in your office, but you don't really know their name. Maybe someone who pours your coffee, someone that you're aware of, but you don't know much about them. If someone like this comes into your mind, imagine them sitting in front of you. And then if you wish, choosing to offer these phrases of loving kindness to them. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be as healthy as you can be. May you live with ease and with well-being. Noticing what's arising for yourself making space for whatever is happening to happen. And then choosing to offer these phrases once more. Even though I do not know you well, or perhaps at all, may you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be as healthy as you can be. May you live with ease and with well-being. Noticing how it is to offer loving kindness to someone that we don't know if they deserve it or not. We don't really know anything about them. And seeing if we can continue to trust this energy, this orientation of the heart in a bit wider way still. If it is safe for you, calling to mind someone with whom you've had or are having difficulty someone with whom there is harsh feeling, perhaps harsh words, maybe even pain in that relationship. If it is safe for you, imagine them sitting here in front of you and offer these phrases of loving kindness to them. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be as healthy as you can be. May you live with ease and with well-being. If this is not safe for you to do, just return to the breath and don't offer these phrases. If there's discomfort and you choose to stay with it, noticing what's coming up for you and offering these phrases of loving kindness once more. Even though there is difficulty between us, may you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be as healthy as you can be. 
may you live with ease and with well-being. Breathing into and out of metta, out of loving kindness, we're trusting this capacity that each and every one of us is born with to connect, to open the heart wide, to cultivate friendliness towards this life. And so in this way, we might offer these words. May all beings everywhere live in safety. May all beings everywhere be happy. May all beings everywhere be as healthy as they can be. May all beings everywhere live with ease and well-being. The happy beings and the sad beings, the old beings and the young beings, the beings that this moment are coming to the end of their lives, the beings of this moment are coming just to be born. The beings that we know it is easy for us to love and the beings that when we admit it and are honest, we know it is a lot more difficult for us to love. All beings everywhere, including us. And so to conclude, we end with these phrases directed back towards our own hearts because this is the ground that we work with. This is the ground that we walk on. May I live in safety. May I be happy. May I be as healthy as I can be. May I live with ease and with well-being. Noticing what is true for you right now. And as you're ready, opening your eyes, maybe moving your hands, seeing what's here for you. This past week, I heard a podcast that uh, talked about the English translation of the Tibetan word for meditation. That is just one of the most wonderful things I've ever heard. It translates as getting used to it. (laughs) And I don't just mean, as I understood it told to me, getting used to whatever it is. It's actually getting used to our own true nature. Getting used to our capacity for friendliness, for love, for connection, for interdependence. Coming home to ourselves. Coming home to our capacity to connect. If your mind is anything like my mind at all, it takes some getting used to. (laughs) There are things that stand in the way. Confusion, estrangement, old stories I can't let go of. Fears about the future that I rush toward. Sometimes it's hopes about the future. But this getting used to it, all of us can do. Spiritual practice, whatever your spiritual practices is or you would like them to be, can be an opportunity to have a place for your stuff. Because the truth is, as I experience in the midst of confusion, our own, the world's, everyone's, I think there are two questions that are really important to answer. Not all at once. The two important questions to answer in the moment. What do you trust? And who do you love? Because if we can answer these things, what do you trust and who do you love? The confusion may not go away immediately, probably won't go away immediately. But 
maybe the pain around the confusion or the not knowing what to do can start to ease. And we might find just a little bit more space and a little bit more kindness. One of my favorite practices for getting used to it is from, if you've been around, not surprisingly, Tara Brock. She's my favorite teacher. Let's talk about this practice, RAIN. I don't know how many of you have ever worked with this. This is not about external circumstances, although they can be related to external circumstances. This is about our own unease, our own dis-ease, our own angstiness, our own anxiety, our own being at war with ourselves. Rain is an invitation to first recognize what's going on. Perhaps you know, I know it, what it's like to be at war against yourself, to push back against your own experience regularly and say to yourself, this isn't happening, I don't want it to happen, I'm not going to pay attention, I'm just going to move on from it. And lo and behold, what do we know? The same circumstances keep showing up and showing up and showing up in our heads and in our hearts. And so first just recognizing. And then the next one, allowing. Allowing the experience to be as it is within yourself. Doing this as you wish to, doing this as you can. The next one, investigating with kindness. <laughs> Not judging yourself, not telling yourself it ought to be differently, but just foreseeing what's below that anger, what's there in that fear. And then the last one, that's kind of the grace one, the N, the natural loving awareness. This happens. Happens to me over and over again. The gradual cessation of all the storms and the turmoil and the awareness that, yeah, I can work with this. There is a place for my stuff, whatever it is. Tara has a great story about what rain is. It takes a while to work with this stuff. I'll admit that. It took me a while to get it because it's not a conceptual understanding. She says it's like this. Imagine you're walking through the forest one afternoon, beautiful afternoon, sun shining, nice cool day, not 98-something degrees or whatever it is out there, and you see a dog, a little puppy, right by the foot of a tree. And you just naturally reach down and reach out to want to pet that puppy, and it lunges at you. It growls at you. It wants to snap and bite at you. And pretty soon, all that natural desire to connect has totally been turned off. (laughs) And you have fear, and you have anger, and you have, what the hell is wrong with this dog? But then the process of rain, and again, we're both the person walking through the forest and the dog in this little scenario. That's what rain's about. We recognize that the little dog has its foot, its paw, caught in a trap. Well, if you say ah, say ah for yourself too, please. (laughs) Because we're that dog. (laughs) Our pain, our destructive anger, our fear. If we look upon it or learn to look upon it with some kindness, we may see underneath that thwarted love, a deep desire for connection, a heartfelt value that's imperiled, we may be able to interrupt that being at war with ourselves and learn to practice peacemaking with ourselves. And practicing peacemaking with ourselves is the best way I know to practice peacemaking in the world out there, which so badly needs it. I love interrupting all that stuff that takes me away. I love finding the way to come back home. So yeah, this is that part in talking about Magnolia, returning to the movie in which frogs rain from the sky. (laughs) And it seems to be a manifestation of all the chaos 
and all the stuff that can't handle. And the frogs raining from the sky seem to be saying, pay attention. <laughs> pay attention, friends. I got to admit, this is the part of me that's still a kid and always will be, over these last two or so months of incredible social pain, I have been, like, I've been wanting for a hero. <laughs> I've been thinking of superheroes. I've been thinking maybe frogs would rain from the sky and wake us all up and we would see that we are all in this together and that the connections between us cannot be abridged without great cost. But no frogs have fallen from the sky yet and the superheroes have not shown up yet. And so actually it's left for the truth of this movie to come forward. I love what this guy said a number of years ago. And pardon me for using a sports metaphor here, and especially one from the Boston Celtics. Rick Pitino, not a successful pro coach, a very successful college coach. This is before he was just about to be fired from the Boston Celtics. You might remember names like Bird and Parrish and McHale, the great Celtics teams. He said once when the press kept needling him and needling him, he said really angrily but truthfully, Larry Bird isn't walking through that door. <laughs> Kevin McHale is not walking through that door. Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. We got to play with the team we have. We got to work with the minds that we are. We got to work with the hearts that we have. We got to work with the world as it is. It is love and loving kindness that reminds us and can return us over and over again to these words from Adrian Rich, which strike me as one of the most truthful things I have read in a long time. She wrote, my heart is moved by all I cannot save. So much has been destroyed. I have to cast my lot with those who age after age with no extraordinary power reconstitute the world. I have to cast my lot with those who age after age with no extraordinary power reconstitute our world. May we be those today who cast our lots with our own hearts. Work the fertile, natural, good soil of what we find there. Find a place for our stuff, a place for your stuff, a place for all of our stuff. And may our stuff make a way. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? God, beyond belief, beyond imagining. Spirit who invites, not compels. Who invites to recognize the limitless quality of compassion of love, of kindness that dwell in each of our hearts planted there as a seed, waiting just as seeds in the soil to be nourished, to reveal their health, to reveal their goodness, to reveal their capacity to connect. When we see, when we hear, when we feel the call of our confusion leading us in paths and in ways that offer false answers, destructive answers, Answers that add to the pain of the world rather than diminishing it. May we return to the fertile, good, noble ground of our hearts. Cultivate what is there. It may not offer us an answer immediately. But way, as our Quaker friends say, will open. It is trustworthy. So are we, as we are beloved. Amen.